This is the day 622. Thank you, Valerie. This is a day, this is a day that the Lord hath made, that the Lord hath made. We will rejoice, we will rejoice, and be glad in it, and be glad in it. This is the day that the Lord hath made, we will rejoice and be glad in it. This is a day. This is a day that the Lord hath made. Psalm 118.24. It's fun to sing scripture, isn't it? Let's pray as we begin our Sunday school hour. Heavenly Father, I thank you for gathering us together here in our corner of your world. And Father, I ask you that we would be faithful to you in spreading the gospel in our area. Thank you for the Giltners who hand out so many tracts in the Tokyo area and that vast, vast, highly populated city is one that certainly you know the majority of the people have not even heard about Jesus Christ or the gospel message. And in a day and age where communication is so quickly achieved. Father, I ask you that you would see fit that these folks somehow can see clearly the truth of the gospel without the obstacles of their culture and their religious backgrounds clouding their vision and clouding their hearts and minds. And Father, I ask you that you would guide Eli and Katie as they attempt to begin uh, some sort of meetings in their apartment. And Father, I ask you that that would go well and that it would be well attended and that others would come to know Christ as Savior, that you would gather eventually together a local church as they endeavor to do that. Father, I ask you too that whatever opposition there may be would be silenced by you, by the Holy Spirit. Also, Heavenly Father, we do ask you that as they teach that there would be opportunities to share the truth of salvation through Christ as they teach and as they uh, help others with the idea of homeschooling in a, in a country where that's probably relatively new. Father, I ask you that you would guide them in that and that it would be used of you to reach the hearts of others. Father God, I also ask you that you would overcome the obstacle that I'm not aware of, but that is available for us to read about on their blog spot. Lord, I ask you that you would be the one who overcomes the opposition that they face and bless your word. Thank you for the new Bibles that they've received and that they can hand out. And uh, Father, that there would be people understand in their in their normal or native tongue, the contents of the Bible as compared to what they've maybe heard from other sources or been uh, that's been kept from them. Father, we do thank you again for sending the Giltners over to Japan. And our part in praying for them is 
important and and father god as we attempt to help them in the next month financially that you would guide us in our part in that for your honor glory i pray in jesus name amen a couple more puns for punishment from dr kober he likes doing this (laughs) and a couple of the professors at faith baptist bible college have enjoyed puns over the years. Dr. Myron Houghton was a special, he, it was his specialty. Anyway, here's a pun. You ready? A soldier who survived mustard gas and pepper spray is now a seasoned veteran. Here's another one. They told me I had type A blood, but it was a type O. A typo. Here's an advertisement. The Energizer, I'm sorry, a, a, a ti- a, what do you call it? Anyway, a title in a paper. Energizer Bunny Arrested, Charged with Battery. <laughs> Did you know broken pencils are pointless? <laughs> Did you know that? <laughs> okay. Here's the last one for punishment, if you will. I used to think I was indecisive, but now I'm not so sure. (laughs) Let's see. I know Jim needs one of these. Does anyone else need a survey of Bible doctrine by Charles Ryrie? Okay, you don't have one. Um, You can pick one, and then I'll give the other one to Jim. Okay. I don't know. Some of them have markings in them. I don't think that one does. Does yours, Carol? Okay, good. And I will just do a quick introduction. Last week we addressed the existence of God, and there are several outside the Bible uh, evidences that God exists, but we looked... (laughs) I gave you a list of many biblical references that prove God's existence. This week, it's my intent to look at the uh, personhood of God, his essence, I titled it. So last week was the existence of God, the essence of God is this week and next week, and then the eminence of God, and finally the enterprise of God. So uh, my intent it was to make this four lessons, and I'll see how that goes. I would like for you to uh, look at page, okay, starting at page 32, the evidence for triunity. That's next week. I'd like to ask you to read, you could start at page 30 because it gives evidence for oneness, and that's how I started next week's lesson, and go through the end of that chapter So page 30 through 35 for next week in your books. Please read that ahead of time. Today we're going to start with Hebrews 1. uh, 11, I'm sorry, I had a typo in my own writing. Uh, Hebrews 11, verse 6. Everyone turn to Hebrews 11, verse 6. Okay. Okay. I realized as I was doing this that just proving from the Bible that God is a real person 
uh, would end up taking most of our hour today, and it wouldn't do justice to try to dive into the triunity of God today as well. So that is for next week. In Hebrews chapter 11, the sixth verse says, But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. God is not merely some emanation or ideology of someone. No, God is a real person. He's real. And we must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder. He cares about us, of them that diligently seek him. So at the top of your handout, under A, the personhood of God, note, many teach that the requirements which define, goes in the blank, a personal being are, this is what I was taught in Bible college, intellect, emotion, and will. And that is an oversimplification, but to be sure, these are necessary. What about God? Does he have intellect? Is he an emotional being? Does he have will, cognitive ability to determine? Yes, he does. He's a real person. He's not some imagination of someone, not some pie in the sky, if you will. So, number one, spirituality. I have eight, instead of just three, intellect, emotion, and well, I have spirituality, life, intelligence, purpose, action, freedom, self-consciousness, and emotion. And I don't know that it's necessary to put emotion at the end because they're all wrapped up in who God is, okay? Spirituality. God is a personal spirit being. Go to John 4, 24. Everybody, we're going to race today, okay? John 4, verse 24, and see what Jesus said about this to the critics of his day. John 4, verse 24. Well, verse 22, ye worship, ye know not what. That's what's going on in our world as well. You know, you worship what you know. Uh, you know not what we know that we worship. For salvation is of the Jews, they said. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. And what does verse twenty-four say, everyone? God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. God is a personal spirit being, not just a force, not just an illusion or a notion or a theory or a concept. He is a real spiritual person. In short, God is the infinite and perfect spirit. That's what goes in the blank, is the word perfect. And he is to be apprehended and worshipped spiritually. John 4, 23 and 24. He is to be apprehended and worshipped spiritually. 
Here is a big word. He is an incorporeal being. Does everyone know what incorporeal means? He doesn't have something to squeeze like I do. You can't hurt him by poking him with an ice pick. He doesn't have flesh and bones and blood and all of that. God the Father is an incorporeal being. The idea of God... If you need to know how to spell incorporeal, it's I-N-C-O-R-P-O-R-E-A-L. I-N-C-O-R-P-O-R-E-A-L. And yes, I could break it down into a non-physical sense, and we could break the word down, but you get the idea. He's a non-physical being. The idea of God as an impersonal spirit is foreign to biblical thought and biblical truth. It's foreign. That's the word that goes in that blank. So we need to look at some Bible texts that apply. The Bible does not in any way ever present God as an impersonal spirit being. That's, that's foreign to biblical thought. Exodus 20, verse 4, in the Ten Commandments. What do we have, everyone? Exodus 20, 20, verse 4, in the Ten Commandments, we read, Thou shalt not make unto thee, and this is God speaking, verse 1, and God spake all these words, saying, okay, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth, thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. Uh-oh, he has an emotion, doesn't he? <laughs> okay. So, um, I am a jealous God. <clears throat> hmm. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children under the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. Okay? So, that is one Bible passage that teaches us that God is not like anything that is on earth or heaven above or in the waters that are upon the surface of the earth. He's not like any of that. He is a personal spirit being. Okay? Go to Deuteronomy 4, verse 12, and we'll look at verses 12 and 15. Someone please read those. Deuteronomy 4, 12 and 15. Someone please read those. One right after that. They're getting good and loud for us, okay? Deuteronomy 4, 12 and 15. Thank you. Why couldn't they see him as something recognizable? Because he's a spirit being. Okay? He is not a physical being. Colossians 1.15 Speaking of Jesus, of course, Colossians 1 verse 15 in the New Testament. Okay? I think we should all get there. I guess we can leave it at that for now because 
when Sean teaches about Christology, he'll continue on with this, I'm sure. So let's look at just verse 15. Jesus Christ, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. And that title, firstborn, I'm sure Sean will explain as he... uh, literally means first begetter. Anyway, the idea of this verse is that the invis- God is invisible. God the Father cannot be seen with physical human eyes. 1 Timothy 1.17. Someone please read that. 1 Timothy 1 verse 17. Okay. He is eternal, immortal, and invisible. He is not immortal. He is a spirit being as personal spirit being and he's invisible to us to human eyes how has God manifested himself as we just read a few moments ago in Deuteronomy which referred back to Exodus chapter 2 verses 3 through 6 as a fire he manifested himself he spoke to Moses on Mount Horeb through a fire and of course we know that the Spirit of God, if you will, came down upon the Lord Jesus Christ at the baptism by John the Baptist in John chapter 1, verse 32. So he was visible in that sense as a dove. In Isaiah 6, verses 1 through 3, we have a description of God there, right? Isaiah 6. Everybody go there, please. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. Tell me what God looks like here, okay, as we read this. Isaiah 6, 1 through 3. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy Holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. What does God look like, everyone? If you say, I don't know, that's an okay answer. Because there's not a description of him here other than he's on a throne high and lifted up and his train filled the temple and the whole earth is full of his glory. That's not like us. Now, there are anthropomorphic statements in the Bible where it talks about God's hands. But that is for us. That's for you and me to understand about his character. It's not his physical description. Okay? When Jesus ascended up to heaven and sat on the right hand of God, some picture God's hand, I don't know. Forget it. Anyway, it's, the way I understand it, it is like a flowing garment, basically. Okay? Yeah. That's the way I understand it. So let's go on our handouts to number two. So he is a spirit. He has spirituality. He is spiritual, and therefore we can relate to him spiritually because he is real and spiritual. Number two, he is also in possession of life. To be a person. Number two, to be a person, one must be living. Otherwise, you're not a a person. We're talking about the personhood of God. And Deuteronomy 5, verse 26, we just have a few here. Let's go to Deuteronomy 5, 26. 
as quickly as we can. And I really do want to attempt not to over go over in time today. Deuteronomy chapter five verse twenty six. You'll have you'll kind of see it as we do this exercise. He has life. Deuteronomy five twenty six. Excuse me. For who is there of all flesh that hath heard the voice of the living God speaking out of the midst of the fire as we have and lived? He's living. He's the living God. In their day and age, people had all kinds of idols and things, things that they worshipped. No, there's only one living God and he is alive uh, Jeremiah 10, verse 10. We ought to see that as well. Jeremiah 10, verse 10. You'll see it here in a slightly different sense. But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God. And an everlasting king. At his wrath the earth shall tremble and the nations shall not be able to abide his indignation. He is the living God. Okay, an oath that God used at times. I'm skipping First Thessalonians one nine. You can look that up for yourself. An oath that God used at times under number two is like in Isaiah forty nine eighteen and Jeremiah twenty two twenty four, where it says, "As I live, saith the Lord." And then He would make an oath. Did He keep His oath? Yes. Because as I live, he swore upon his own life. Here is a quote from Roland McCune. Okay? This life spoken of here refers to its, in its theological sense to the potential energy or activity directed by its own intelligence. So this is an intelligent life, of course. In other words, God is able to do things external to himself while the non-living are unable to do anything. Juanetta will remember when we asked the pennies, Stan and Mimi, whether, or why, well, others were in that Bible study too. Why can't the unsaved understand the Bible or spiritual things? Why can't they understand that? And after they trusted Christ as their Savior, Stan answered that question. The unsaved can't understand the Bible or spiritual things because dead people can't think. (laughs) If you're not alive, you can't think. And spiritually, we're talking that in that sense, it's a spiritual rebirth or regeneration where you can begin to think spiritually. At any rate, the non-living are unable to do anything, Roland McCune said. Because God is living, he is able to impart life to others. Genesis 2-7, where he breathed into man life. Okay? Genesis 2-7. God is a spiritual, personal being. Number two, he is alive. Number three, he's intelligent. Number three, God is perfect and complete in his intelligence. He doesn't lack any knowledge at all. He, has, he possesses it all, in, infinite, if you will. 
God is perfect and complete in his intelligence. His knowledge, wisdom, and understanding are infinite. We better look at some of these. Let's go to Psalm 40 and then look at a few of those in Psalm, the book of Psalms. Psalm 40, verse 5. Wow. We'll kind of race through these. Someone... Beat me there and read it, please. Psalm 40, verse 5. Many, O Lord, are thy thy wonderful works which thou hast done, and thy thoughts which are to usward. They cannot be reckoned up in order unto thee. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. Does God have intelligence? Oh, yes, he does. Go to 104, verse 24. Psalm 104, 24. Race me there. (laughs) Psalm 104, 24. Anyone? O Lord, how manifold are thy works in wisdom. Thou hast made them all. The earth is full of thy riches. God is intelligent, all-knowing, and wise 147 psalm 147 verse 5 anybody beat me there yeah matt go for it great is our lord and abundant is his strength his understanding is infinite his understanding is infinite thank you matt and then of course in proverbs and isaiah 40 verse 28 and romans 11 let's look at that romans 11 33 and 34 okay romans 11 33 and 34 in the new testament this is not an, something that we only look to the old testament for certainly romans 11 and the context has to do with god god's purposes for Israel 33 and 34 it says oh the depth of the riches both are his judgments and his ways past finding out for who hath known the mind of the Lord or who hath been his counselor it's a rhetorical question none number four okay purpose so here you go purpose is a goal that's the word goal or plan set in one's mind which directs the actions which will accomplish it. This is one way of stating that God has a will. Remember, I was taught in Bible college that to prove that either God or the Holy Spirit or Jesus Christ or even the angels are personal beings. They had to have intellect, emotion, and will. Well, this is one way of stating that God has a will. For the sake of theological discussion, this means that God has made decrees. He's determined what he will do, and he will bring to pass for his own glory. God has a will. If you're in the New Testament, let's just look at the Ephesians chapter 1, verses 5 through 11 for now, since uh, it's... I'm looking at the time. Ephesians 1, verses 5 through 11. Okay. Where it says this. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to 
the good pleasure of his will. And I'm sure when Shane teaches about salvation, that will come up. To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to the good pleasure which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. God is a personal being because he has purpose and goals and plans and he carries them out. We can't say this of the animals, but we can certainly of God in a perfect sense. People in an imperfect sense. We don't always carry out our goals, our plans, do we? But God does. Anyway, he has a will. Number five, he is an active being. To be a person, one must be active. And God is fully able to do all things eternal. I'm sorry, external. I don't know why I said that. External, outside. Do all things external to himself by his own intelligence. And he does them. Some theologians call this applied energy. Okay? Applied energy. That's a theological term. Wrapped up in this are all the works of God in creation. That goes in the blank. Preservation and miracles goes in the blank. Providence and salvation, as we just saw. Okay? While you're writing those in, I'll start at applied energy. It wrapped up in this are all the works of God in creation, preservation, miracles, providence, and salvation. I'm going to Psalm 92, verses 4 and 5, and I'll read those to you while you're writing those in. Psalm 92, verses 4 and 5. This is what the Bible says. O Lord, how great are thy works, and thy thoughts are very deep. A brutish man knoweth... I'm sorry, I I started at verse 5. Verse 4. For thou, Lord, hast made me glad through thy work. I will triumph in the works of thy hands, O Lord. Thou art great... I'm sorry. How great are thy works, and thy thoughts are very deep. God is a God of action, and he is living. In John 15, 17, Jesus said it this way. John... Did I say 15? 517. John 517. Jesus said it like this. When I get there. <clears throat> but Jesus answered them, My father worketh hitherto I work. So he is a God of action. Number six, freedom. This means that God is fully self-determined and self-sufficient. The personhood of God. This is one of his 
attributes which overlap, and that's okay. God is fully self-determined and self-sufficient. He is independent and not bound by anything outside of himself. As humans, we are all dependent on that which is outside us, but God is not. (laughs) Let's see the testimony of Job there, okay? Go to Job 23.13. There it is. Job 23, verse 13. Job said, but he is in one mind, and who can turn him? And what his soul desireth, even that he doeth. That's Job's understanding of God. And in chapter 42, verses 1 and 2, it indicates that as well. God can do anything. He's self-sufficient. He's self-determined does not depend on anything outside of himself. Isaiah 46, verses 9 and 10. Isaiah 46, verses 9 and 10. This is what the Bible says there. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand And I will do all my pleasure. It's up to him. He is free, not dependent on anything outside of himself. Here's a question. How does this truth oppose the open view of God? The open view of God is that he is waiting for us to do something, maybe even pray, and then he responds to it. Or if we do something wrong, then he has to react and create something that will overcome it or whatever. God is, he does, the open view of God is the idea that God can't predict, if you will, what we're going to do as human beings. And so he's waiting and watching to see what we'll do and then he reacts to it. That's, uh, the Pentecostals are, have gone miles with this. It's called open theism. Does this Bible truth about God being self-determined and self-sufficient oppose that view and he's not self-sufficient he depends on us you know they say they have their cliches like god must use our hands or god depend you know in a lot of ways god depends on us let's go on because of the time anyway number seven he's self-conscious this is the ability to make oneself the object of one's own thought okay the object of one's own thought, and knowing one has done so, according to Dr. Shedd. Self-conscience, this is the ability to make oneself the object of one's own thought, and knowing one has done so. The creatures cannot do this, and man can only do, I here's a typo, it in an incomplete way. Okay? Psalm 139 is an example. Only the self-conscious God can say, I am with a real understanding. Exodus 3, verse 14. Of course, that's what God said to Moses on Mount Horeb, out of the burning bush. I am that I am, hath sent me, thee unto uh, me, anyway, sent Moses to the Israelites back in Egypt. Jesus said in John 8, verse 58, this very thing. Before Abraham was, I am they are, he is, 
as God, self-conscious, the object of his own thought, and knowing he's done so. Number eight, emotion. Without question, God is a person of real emotion. God's emotional makeup is sometimes described in, this is a big word, anthropopathic ways. That means attributing human emotions to God. Psalm 2 verse 4 says God laughed. Okay? Jeremiah 31 3 and John 3 16 tell us that God loves with an everlasting love, right? Exodus 4 14 and Revelation 10 speak of God's wrath and anger. We know he hates sin. And we just saw a little bit ago in Deuteronomy, he's a jealous God. So God has emotions. He is a spiritual being. He is alive. He's intelligent. He has purpose and will. He is a God. He is a being of action, not in action. He is a is free. He's self-sufficient, self-determined. He's self-conscious and emotional. Is God a real being and not merely an emanation? I'm glad he's a personal being because then he can relate to you and me and he does. I'm glad for that. Heavenly Father, as we dismiss this class, I ask you that as we've just considered some of the truths about you, even attributes in some ways, that we would love you more for who you are. Thank you for being real and personal and where we can spiritually relate to you and you to us. Father, thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.